so everybody's got a piece of paper. Good. I'm telling you, this one is awesome. I, they're, they're all awesome, but uh, this one's just so cool to me. Uh, in Genesis 16 of uh, Sarah and Hagar. Hagar 
uh, was a uh, bond servant of Abraham's, um, and uh, well, actually, it's Sarah's. But um, anyway, we're gonna we're gonna be in that for a little bit. Uh, my baby's here, just left. Lens. Yeah. What are we doing? Oh, we need to eat. Sorry, I just feel like he's distracted. I don't want to. Um. So okay, so let, let's look at your let's look at your puzzle before we start. Okay. Uh, here's what I want you to see. I know this is really simple, but I, I hear a lot of theology uh, that, and we'll just for the, for the sake of what we're talking about today, we just call it separation theology. But um, where in examining who God is, um, whether whether it's just pulling from a passage or talking about God in general. Whatever that is, what we what we do is we take our and this just pretend like okay, I have a little too busy. But we take we take God and we'll examine Him uh, for His love, okay. Um, and then we'll we'll come to certain conclusions about His love, and then we'll examine Him for His power. And we'll come to certain conclusions about His power, and then uh, if I had another piece up, but uh, we'll examine Him for uh, His judgment. Uh, for his sovereignty, and we'll go through these uh, these elements of who he is, and we'll examine them individually, which in itself is not bad. But what we end up doing is we end up uh, then situa- situationally applying what we've learned about one piece of him to that situation. So, in in a situation where um, in a situation where uh, there's been tremendous loss. Uh, and I'm just making this up, but Lord, help this make sense. Um, we will speak to somebody about the love of God, right? Why? Because it fits that situation. And it's easy for us to talk about the love of God around that situation because to us, it's like if we can talk about Him in this way, they'll see Him in this way, and it'll fix this. But then we go over here, and we're in a, we're in a debate with uh, unbelievers, and we're talking about you know, what's been stirred up lately is this, this reality of hell. Okay, and, and man, it's been it's been tremendous in what it's caused in debate in terms of God's sovereignty, God's power, God's judgment, uh, and then people want to talk about uh, those things in that topic. Come over here, talking about the love of God, and what we end up doing is we talk about God as this separated, fragmented being uh, that just fits whatever situation we're looking at. Right? Does this make sense? And so, what I want us to do is we're putting together uh, we're going through twenty six names of God, and this is. Uh, this is what he calls himself in Scripture and, uh, and who he is throughout the Scriptures. And all of these are going to point to different attributes of his. Like last week we looked at Elohim, and, and the reality is this is a huge name. Okay? This is creator, powerful God that is beyond the expanse of the universe that sits outside of time. This just the idea of this is extremely difficult for our minds to understand, right? But then what we're going to do today is we're going to put another piece on that. Okay? So we've got Elohim, we've got this great... Uh, portion of him, but it's just a portion. And we're going to put another piece on it. And you kind of built your, uh, your your deal here, And uh, but what I want you to see is this unit is made up of lots of different pieces. What you built is made up of lots of different pieces. What you cannot do as we begin to construct this, uh, this who God is, what you cannot do is you cannot fragment him. Because we have to be people who understand that he is never uh, absent any of his nature. Does this make sense? So we cannot we can't talk about the, the love of God if it comes with an absence of his sovereignty. 
We cannot talk about the power of who He is if it comes absent His love, if it comes absent His grace. We cannot separate and fragment Him because He is not separate or fragmented. And these arguments and these debates have, have just uh, really pulled people apart. And what, what is so frustrating to me is that we're, we're talking at one thing about Him. And we're not, we're not understanding how the greatest act of love is also the greatest act of grace, but is also perfectly just and perfectly sovereign in everything He does. Because He cannot be something that He's not. Does that make sense? Uh, and so I want you to, as we build this, like, we're going to talk about El Roy tonight, okay? And this is the God who sees me. Uh, but you cannot, you cannot talk about that if it's not also Elohim. Does that make sense? Uh, we have to understand the God who sees me with Elohim. And then next week, with whatever we uncover. And we're going to come up with this huge 26-piece uh, puzzle that cannot be separated. Because all of it is who He is. And He is all of it at one time and never separate. So really, really keep that in mind. Because uh, it gets dangerous when things become fragmented. And I just don't, I don't want us to talk at Him uh, in pieces. Though we're taking it piece by piece. This is building a, a full picture uh, of a God that is not pieces. Like, this thing is not a good picture, because there are no pieces to him. He's just, a, he is one unit, and we're describing how that unit operates in love and justice and mercy and goodness and all of what it is. But it's not separate. Does that make sense? Do you see that? Because I, I feel like it's just, the, just this argument of, of Calvinism and Arminianism is the... That's what it is. It's this argument of uh, can God be sovereign and just and love at all at the same time? And we, this this argument twists and looks at just sovereignty, but nobody's talking about grace alongside of sovereignty. Nobody's talking about love. You know, you see what I mean? Uh, don't let yourself get sucked into that mentality because uh, he's not separate. So anyway, I don't know why. I Shiloh's stuff makes me think sometimes. <laughs> there you go, brother. Yeah. <laughs> So, I'll tell you a funny story before we get started. He's been tooting a lot, obviously. And, uh, it's funny. Like, when it happens, his face, and it, it's just kind of funny. So, we laugh sometimes. But now, when he does it, he laughs. And we're like, oh, my goodness. We're creating this crude child. Anyway, so we're trying not to you be know, like, if he does that, do not laugh. Straight face. You know, I, don't want him, I don't want him in public, like, doing that. We're on the trail today. My son's most exciting thing about walking the Lenane Creek Trail. Not the length, not the work that went into it, the, you know, all the nature. Now, poop! You saw like four kinds of poop. That was <laughs> so, little boys. Anyway. Okay, so you in Genesis 16. So, have you heard the story of uh, Hagar? Do we know Hagar uh, at all? She's, she kind of gets swept under the rug a little bit, mainly because uh, of her son, which is Ishmael, and um, so we talk about Ishmael and, and Isaac quite a bit, um, but not a lot about Hagar. But this is a really interesting story, so I, I just want to say this real, real fast. Um, we're going to be talking about uh, Elroy, and your sheet here has the pronunciation of it. Um, it's a lot easier than the last uh, Elohim. You don't have to do that. Like that. You don't have to do that for Elroy. It's just Elroy. Um, and, and what it means is the God who sees me. And this is really cool because we're going to look at the one time in all of Scripture, the one time that this name is used. Uh, so Elroy is only used one time and it'll be uh, from Hagar's mouth. Uh, but it's just, it's just kind of cool. This is the one time that we see it. So uh, in chapter 16, 
Um, what, what's happened is that, uh, basically, we know that Abraham and Sarah have not had a child, right? Uh, that Sarah believes that she's barren and cannot have a child, and uh, so this, this begins to get pretty frustrating. And uh, God, God makes this promise, I'm going to give you a child. They, they believe the Lord for it, but what Sarah begins to try to do is, okay, we're going to get this done ourselves because this is not working. So what, what she does, which is very, very common uh, within, within the culture, she takes a, a maidservant and says, look, I'm barren, I can't do it. So uh, Abraham, I want you to sleep with Hagar and, and, and hopefully produce an heir. Okay? Because the most important thing here is an heir. Uh, and, and for the name to go on, uh, an heir has to be, has to be present. And, and here's the deal. God's already said to Abraham, your descendants are going to outnumber the grains of the sand. So think about their mindset. You know, it's like, uh, are you sure? Because I don't even have a son yet, you know. And uh, So they begin trying to uh, make this happen. And, um, and we see this unfold in chapter 16. I'm not going to read all of it. But um, what happens is, uh, so, so Hagar goes in with, with uh, Abraham and, uh, and, and Hagar uh, becomes uh, pregnant. And Sarah gets extremely jealous. Uh, Obviously, because this woman is carrying a child that she could not, and so there's jealousy. And uh, So we'll pick it up in, um, in verse 5. And Sarah said to Abraham, may the wrong done me be upon you. So she's blaming Abraham, which is like, come on. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's just kind of funny. But, um, I gave my maid into your arms, but when she saw that she had conceived, I was despised in her sight. So this just becomes a, a, a jealousy-type um, issue. Uh, and may the Lord judge between you and me. So she's pretty much saying, the Lord's going to sort this out, whoever, which of us is right or wrong. Uh, and Abraham said to Sarah, or Abram said to Sarah, behold, your maid is in your power, do to her what is good in your sight. So Sarah treated her harshly, and she fled from her presence. So what happens? Your turn, sorry, I've talked a lot. <laughs> I'm taking a breath. <laughs> Yeah, Sarah's kind of a jerk here. Uh, she, she's already upset, we see this, and uh, it says she begins to treat her harshly, uh, which she has the authority to do because um, Hagar is under her um, um, thank you, authority. Um, anyway, so, so Hagar's being abused, and it says, uh, And the angel of the Lord, in verse 7, found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, by the spring uh, on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, Sarah's maid, where have you come from and where are you going? And she said, I am fleeing from the presence of my mistress, Sarah. And the angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit yourself to her authority. Now just think about what that, what that looks like at this point. Um, this, is, this is a pretty tumultuous uh, command from the Lord. She's already fleeing, right, because... She's been despised. Um, there's tremendous amounts of uh, probably frustration and confusion because she's got this child. Uh, it's like, what do I, what do I do? I mean, I, I've been commanded to bear this child, and now that home in which I'm supposed to bear the child is kicking me out. And uh, so, it's a pretty rough deal for her. She's alone, right? And there's nobody, there's nobody taking care of her. Abraham really kind of drops the ball and pretty much says to Sarah, "You do with her what you want." And Sarah abuses her and, and kicks her out. So she is, Hagar is completely by herself. Um, and the Lord says, go back. Like, so what's the, I don't know, what, what do you, 
What's the response though? What do you think that Hagar? Yeah, it's a little crazy. Yeah. Uh, certainly probably lots of fear there. When you think, I mean, uh, certainly all, all we were talking about the confusion, but I think at this point it's like really go back like that. This is not a good situation for me to go back into. I, I, and I even think that um, because of culture there is, a, there is a threat on her life as well. I mean, reality is to go back uh, against the wishes of Sarah is uh, to put your life uh, in jeopardy. Um, and, but the angel of the Lord says, go back. Um, he's, and, but this is cool. And the angel of the Lord said to her further, sorry, I'm sorry, I, uh, verse 9, uh, submit to her authority, and then verse 10, moreover, the angel of the Lord said to her, uh, I will greatly multiply your descendants so that they will be too many to count. The angel of the Lord said to her further, behold, you are with child, and you will bear a son, and you shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has given heed to your affliction. So, this is kind of cool. The word um, Ishmael, you know what it means? Uh, Ishmael means uh, God hears us, or God hears me. Not sees, God hears me. Um, and he says, your, your son's name is going to be Ishmael because the Lord has given heed to your affliction. The Lord, the Lord has heard. Um, he will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone, and everyone's hand will be against him. He will live to the east uh, of all his brothers. So we see, uh, we, we see this. Um, and, and you can. This is a very interesting study. I would encourage, we're not going to uncover it all tonight, but to look at the descendants of Ishmael, um, who those people are, uh, where they live, and even looking at that current day uh, is very interesting. There's a book called The Mountains of Israel. If you're interested in really researching this further, that uh, that describes this very, 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 very well. Um, and it's a really, really short, easy book. I've got one in my office. If you you finished it? Yeah. Yes. That's a good one. Um, so anyway, so what what happens is is the Lord the Lord confronts her, and then what does He do in in uh, eleven or sorry ten and eleven and twelve? What is what happens? What does the Lord tell her? Not obviously we just read it, but what is it that the Lord gives her? Okay, a child. From the back room, nice work. Yeah, it gives, this is this is a this is a promise. Okay, he says you're with child, uh, gives the child a name, but then he also promises things um, over the child. Now, the reality is, at this point, this is what we always have to, I think, is healthy to look at. What is Hagar's point of view right now? We just looked at it. Okay, we know the rest of the story, and if we look at it in that way, we're going to miss what's actually happening moment by moment. But Hagar's viewpoint at, at, at this point is she's been kicked out uh, and then the Lord has said, you know, all uh, evidence really is against her. Uh, and then the Lord says, go back, you're going to have a child, his descendants will be many, and, uh, and he gives promises over the child. So, wrap your head around this. Within a circumstance that that absolutely does not tell the story uh, of what the Lord says, the Lord gives a promise. A promise that completely does not fit within the circumstance that she is in. Does this make sense? The word of the Lord comes in opposition to her circumstance. Okay? The, the promise of the Lord, what it requires of Hagar, for her to go back, 
But think about what this requires. And then you've got to connect this to your life. When the Lord gives a promise, when the Lord, when the Lord says, this is what I'm going to do, this is who I'm going to be over you, and it does not necessarily line up with how you believe the situations are, are playing out, um, it forces you to make a step of faith that says, what I see in front of me does not add up to what you're saying. So, what are you going to walk by? The promise or the circumstance? If Hagar here walks by the circumstance, what happens? What does she do? What do you think? What would you do? Keep running, right? I mean, don't go back. I mean, that is, the reality is your life is on the line if you go back. The only reason that she would do that which does not make sense at all is because the Lord has made a promise. The Lord has said, return. Now, I'm not saying we do things that don't make sense just for the sake of doing things that don't make sense. But what I'm saying is that the, Lord, the promise of the Lord very often opposes the circumstance that we're in. And what he's calling Hagar to do is step outside of what she sees and walk in a promise. This is huge for us. If we're going to be people who walk by revelation, the people that, that walk in the promises of God, we're going to have to stop uh, being so concerned with what our environment has produced. Does this make sense? Because you can very quickly become overwhelmed with situation and circumstance. And the, Lord, the, the promise of the Lord is in opposition to that. He's calling you out of that. But you're going, Lord, but that cannot happen because this, this, and this. And we give him excuse based on circumstance and hit the promises in opposition to that. Does that make sense? Are we good? Are we just soaking in? Or? Mm -hmm. Okay. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Well, I like the fact, I mean, the thing that I thought was interesting is that when you look at the promise it gives you perspective on where her heart is because her concern, I don't think, was really for herself. Yeah. I think her concern was for her son when she's pregnant. Yeah. You know what I mean? She goes back to this place and yes, she might die, but if she dies, so does he. Yeah. And so God addresses that and he sees this is what her concern is and so he makes a promise not to hate her that she's going to live forever, that she's yeah, going to do something, mm -hmm. that her son is going to, Yeah. That, her, that the promise is for the son, not for Yeah. Her. Yeah. That's good. So she's really having to uh, be obedient on behalf of this child that she doesn't know. You know. Um, that's good. So uh, we don't, we're not going to read uh, necessarily all of it. Um, she returns, okay? Uh, she returns and uh, and has this child, and, and basically what happens is as uh, Ishmael becomes very very close uh, with Abram and becomes part of this family. Sarah's kind of still, I think, a little pouty in the corner kind of thing, but uh, Hagar is preserved um, and Ishmael is, is blessed. Um, and, uh, and and then uh, we'll go to, let me make sure, go to uh, chapter 21. We're just going to see the Okay, remember we see Sarah still kind of being punk. So, verse 9, uh, Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had born to Abraham, uh, mocking. Therefore she said to Abraham, drive out this maid and her son. So again, we have this attempt by Sarah to drive um, 
um, Hagar and Ishmael now out of uh, out of their presence, and um, and she said, uh, "The son of this maid shall not be an heir with my son Isaac." So uh, obviously, we got a little more uh, detail in play here. We got Isaac, and uh, the matter distresses Abraham greatly because of his son. So because we we read in the previous chapters, and you can kind of go back, but uh, Abraham and Ishmael become very close. Um, and it distresses him, and God said to Abraham, so, so God intervenes here and says, Do not be distressed because of the lad and your maid. Whatever Sarah tells you, listen to her. For through Isaac your descendants shall be named. And of the son of the maid I will make a nation also, because he is your descendant. So the Lord promises goodness over Ishmael and his descendants. And as well, but he says the intent is for Ishmael not to be the son of the of the promise. Uh, that is that's for Isaac. Um, and so, but even in their disobedience with Ishmael, the Lord says, "I'm still going to bless him because he's your descendant." He's getting a little tired, I think. Um, let's see where I leave off. And the son of Abel, I will make a nation also because he is your descendant. Verse 14. So Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and gave them to Hagar, putting them on her shoulder, and gave her the boy and sent her away. So this, is, I, I, this is just intense, stressful family moment. And he's saying, because he's, he has got this bond with his son and I'm sure with Hagar and He's giving them water, and essentially he's leaning on the promise of the Lord and says, I'm going to take care of them, but he's sending them off, okay? Not really able to take care of themselves. He gives them a portion and sends them off. Uh, and, and we read here, um, and she departed and wandered about in the wilderness of Beersheba, in verse 15, when the water in the skin was used up. So this is the wilderness, and have you ever been to, uh, in, or when I take you, when we go, because you have to go, when we go, uh, you're going to see the landscape of the wilderness uh, in Israel and Egypt and Baraz is just really, really intense. Um, so to be forced out on your own with this jug of water, I mean, it's a death sentence uh, in, in reality. Uh, it's hot. And, uh, and the water of the skin is used up and she left the boy under one of the bushes. And she went and sat down opposite him about a bow shot away where she said, do not let me see the boy die. So, I mean, understand what's happening. Is that they're at the end. Water's gone. It, it's over. She places Ishmael in a place uh, under a tree uh, with the last bit of water. She goes away because she does not want to watch her son die. Uh, and she sat opposite him and lifts up her voice and weeps. God heard the lad crying, and the angel of God uh, called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What is the matter with uh, you, Hagar? So, come on. Like, be a little more sensitive. I read this, and I was like, Lord. Be a little more sensitive. Like, what's wrong with her? She's about to watch her son die. He says, what's wrong with you, Hagar? Do not fear, for the God has heard your voice, uh, uh, heard the voice of the lad where he is. What's the kid's name? Do you remember? Ishmael, which means God hears. And what was the Lord saying? That God hears uh, his voice. Uh, Arise, lift up the lad, and hold him by the hand, for I will make a great nation of him. Then God opened her eyes, uh, and she saw a well of water. And she went and filled the skin with water and gave the lad a drink. God was with the lad, and he grew, and he lived in the wilderness and became an archer. He lived in the wilderness of Quran, uh, and his mother took a wife for him from the land uh, of Egypt. And if we go back here, um, in verse 17, I, I forgot to show you, or chapter 17, I actually forgot to show you this. Uh, 
um, sorry, chapter 16. But it's uh, right after the Lord gives a promise, Hagar says, uh, then she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are a God who sees. This is the point where we where we see uh, our Lord. Um, for she said, have I even remained alive here after seeing him? She's just amazed that even after seeing God, being with God, that she's still alive. And this is after the promise. She says, you you do see me. Um, and then she goes she goes here and, and and what has to happen to me in this in this desert wilderness moment? Um, she's on the brink of of death. She and her son are on the brink of death. And what ha- what does the Lord come and do? Does He speak anything new? No. What does He do? Yeah, He reminds her who He is. Right. He reminds her what He has said He is going to do. He says, and I, and I think this is why that He takes the language that He does. He says, "What are you doing?" Um, and I think this, you know, originally I, said, I told you when I read this, is like, ah, oh, like, Lord, be a little more gentle. Um, but the reality is, what has what has happened is that circumstances have become so intense that they have brought her eyes off of the promise, and she has submitted herself to death when the Lord has called her and her son. Uh, but we know her son to life, um, and so the Lord again reminds her, uh, and I think the Lord does this often to us, uh, reminds what he said. What are you doing? I told you who I was going to be and what I was going to do. Uh, how could you not believe that there would be provision right where you are? Because this is what I said uh, was going to happen on your behalf. Um, and so this is, kind of, this is kind of the story. This is where this uh, God who sees me uh, is birthed from. And I would really, again, as in all of this, I would encourage you to go back in your time and really dig through the rest of the story because I skipped around a lot. Um, but what I, what I want us to do um, is is really tackle the reality of what she calls him. What she says when she says, you are the God who sees me. Okay, We've already, you know, last week we talked about when we're, when we're looking at um, Elohim, this is something that is, that, you know, I told you this is bigger than really what our minds can wrap around. I mean, we, we talked about uh, in movies how they go from smaller to bigger perspective to a bigger perspective. And we talked about what would that be like in terms of Elohim, I mean, to go completely outside of all that is created to be creator. I mean, the viewpoint that he has, that he sees more than we've ever seen, even with our biggest telescopes. And, you know, no matter what we do, we cannot see the ends of creation, but he sits above it all. He sits on a throne that is above and outside and all. This is just this is just a magnitude that is really, really, really hard to imagine. But then what's so cool is the very next thing that we're looking at. Okay? So we've got this massive perspective. And then he says of himself that he sees us. So really with, without uncovering much else, what does that do? Like how does that how does that land for you? I know how it's been for me, but how does that how does that happen? Remember, we got our pieces, so they have to be together, right? This Creator God that is outside of all creation uh, and is the author of it all sees you. I mean, think just for a second. Think about your your completely realistically. Think about your insignificance. I mean, think about how small you are. It's ridiculous. There there's thirty two thousand people just within about. 20 square miles. 
Okay? <laughs> and, then, and then we're just a blink of time within the history of, of, of just time. And he's outside of even that. I mean, think how small, if you live to a hundred, think how small that is. We're only in our like 20s, 30s, teens, I don't know how old we are. If, you're, if your life reaches the right old age of 100, then in a, in a, in a scale of time, your, the, the amount of time that your life took up would not even be visible on a scale of, of time that is just within creation. We're not even talking about what's been outside. It's, and he sees you. What does it do to you? I don't know, like, let this land. What does it do to you? <laughs> what are you thinking? Or should we just, like, leave? Because that may be it. <laughs> we may have to just hit the buzzer for you and walk out of the building.
is Bunny the lead singer in this band? That was gonna go sing along. Lindsay, I'm in a group part. Like, <laughs> lay me <laughs> uh, And she said, because I'm hanging out with them over here. Uh, and, and I'm like, we're in our life. Anyway, randomly, they got in town early and were just seeing the campus because that's all there is in Lubbock is the campus. Lubbock's pretty lame. And so, anyway, long story short, end up bumping into these guys. It's like the coolest thing ever, you know, for me. I ended up giving them a ride back to their hotel, hang out, and I was on the list for the show. I didn't have to like, stand in line. Me and my friend walked right in. And when we were there, they were like, hey! And it was like, yes, you know. <laughs> we are that cool. Okay? So you understand, like, my view of myself was ridiculous at that point. Like, I was cooler than anybody else in the room. Just... I was. I was just. I was just way cooler than anybody next to me. Uh, be, why? Because somebody important had seen me. You see that? I don't know. That's why it's hit, hit me. But like, this is what happened to me as I was processing this today. It was like, oh my goodness. Like, he sees me. God, that is that. Oh, like the, that one sees me. You know. How important am I? I'm so ridiculously small and insignificant. And Lord, I see that. But you see me. So there's something about me that is important enough for you to see, for you to look at, for you to observe. And he doesn't stop there. We're going to look at other, other passages. But like just the fact that I'm noticed by him. You know? So that, like, that moment with the celebrity was like, oh, look, I'm somebody. But he sees me. God of creation, author of time, sees me. There is, you know, I am insignificant, yet I am so significant. And not only does he see me, but to what extent has he gone to which he would be in relationship with me? That's even crazier. You don't just notice me. I don't just, you know, blip on the radar. But you, you have pulled me out of my junk in order to be in relationship with me, and I'm just like that in time. What? Isn't that crazy? <clears throat> this is why I'm telling you that like, these two things have to match. You can't just say, oh, say, God, God sees me. Do you know what that means? <laughs> and, how, and how out of his way he goes to see it. You understand how focused he would have to be? The magnification of a microscope that would, would have to be to see from his perspective to us. Like, I told you, all of science has not allowed us to even reach outside of our universe. He sits outside it all and he sees to the smallest, most minute. What does he say? The, the, the sparrow is not even uh, not going to be tended for. What? He sees even that much. I don't know. I'm important to somebody important. You know? Go to Psalm 139. Let's just see this. It's, I, I think we're going to get into this a lot, like where we just, where these mammoth thoughts hit us, and it's like, I need, a, I need a week. See you guys next week. I need a week. I need a lifetime to process that. It's crazy. Um, Sarah, why don't you go to Psalm 139, uh, and Sherry, go to Luke 12. Uh, let's see. I want to read Hebrews 13. Who doesn't have anything? CK, you want to read? You good at reading? You got English Bible or you have to read to us in Chinese? Yeah, English. Okay. Can you read English Bible? Go to Deuteronomy 31, 6. 
I'm going to do Deuteronomy. Okay, so Sarah, read Psalm 139. Yeah, just 17 and 18. Just soak this in. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I am still with you. So what does he say? you got to like do your own verse here. What, what just happened? Paraphrase, Sarah. What's the main idea? thoughts in terms of number towards us? Yeah, it says it says they outnumber the grains of the sand. He sees you. I just want you to soak this in. Like, this is who he is and he's backed it up, okay, in these passages. So, uh, he sees you. His thoughts for you, for me, outnumber the grains of the sand. Uh, oh gosh, I gave you a big Luke 12. Who's Luke 12? 1 through 12. Okay. In these circumstances, a crowd of many thousands came together. So that the, am I on the right spot? Yes. So that they were trembling on one another. He began to, to say to his disciples first, Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. This is nothing covered, this is nothing covered that won't be uncovered, nothing hidden that won't be made known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark will be heard in the light, and whatever you have whispered in an ear in private rooms will be proclaimed on the rooftops. Okay, stop right there. Paraphrase to that point. What, what's he talking about? He sees and hears everything. Everything. <laughs> He's like, don't, don't think that you can escape because what... What has been said in the dark, secret place will be made known. All is known to me. In that way. (laughs) All has been made known to me. It's almost bedtime. Sorry, doing the bedtime. Okay, keep going. Sorry, I just I want us to digest as we go. And I say to you, my friends, don't fear those. Who kill the body and after that can do nothing more. But I will show you the one to fear. Fear him who has authority to throw people into hell after death. Yes, I say to you, this is the one to fear. Aren't five sparrows sold for two pennies? Yet not one of them is forgotten in God's sight. Indeed, the hairs of your head are all counted. Don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. Keep going. What, did you go to 12? Not yet. Um, I didn't know if you wanted to stop me again. Okay. <laughs> no, I'm just You're saying. Like, I need to digest. Can I stop? <laughs> and I say to you, anyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man, will also acknowledge him before the angels of God. But whoever denies me before men will deny, be denied before the angels of God. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but the one who blasphemes uh, against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. Whenever they bring before synagogues and bring you before synagogues and rulers and authorities, don't worry about how you should defend yourselves or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you at the very hour what you must say. Well, I just wanted us to read the end of that because uh, tangent, but this is the last when the sun goes down. Uh, Shavuot will be uh, over. Uh, Pentecost will be over. 
it was it started on Friday evening and is over today. So I just thought we'll we'll tail in that passage with a little piece about the Holy Spirit. But um, anyway, in terms of let's focus back. Uh, in terms of uh, of Elmo, what do you see there? the same thing what do you mean they see everything the ears on your head yeah and that we're more worth more than spirit, spirit. yeah 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 he's yeah he still tends to them and our worth is uh is that much more you know i i don't know i every time i hear this passage it's like in fluffy mm-hmm. lingo but here's what here's what jesus is saying like let me tell you why you should tremble before the mm-hmm. throne Right? This is not like, okay, here's how to feel good, you know. And it cuts down on the distance between you and God. You know what I mean? It's like you can you can go about your daily life and you can go to the temple and you can take your five sparrows and or you can you can even do you can do these things in darkness and, and think that they're hidden, but God sees that too and so it makes him more present. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? No, like good. it takes down it cuts down some of that distance. He is Elohim and he sees everything, but at the same time, he is everywhere and he sees everything. Yeah. So you don't forget that he's always with you. Yeah. Yeah, I just, I, the tremendousness of that God that is that big yet has that scope that he sees even the, my hidden thoughts. Mm. I, I think it would be really, really healthy at that point for me to tremble, not in reverence, but in fear. Mm. Like, he could crush me without even without even a whisper. You know what you know what I mean? And and be completely right in doing it. Oh yeah, sure. And, and, and well, yeah, and be completely justified. I, we can't lose that. We can't lose. You know, I, I just hear a lot of times fear not taught uh, because we're afraid of it, which is kind of funny. Uh, <laughs> but it's healthy because if you don't fear the Lord, then you do not. You you have in no way encountered it. If you if you have if you have read the God of Scripture who when his people disobeyed him, literally the earth re, re, read this. It's in uh, uh, Numbers. I, I believe it's in, in uh, Numbers twelve. I could be wrong, but um, the people disobeyed and the earth swallowed forty two thousand people. Like that. I mean, yes, I'm afraid. <laughs> Thank you that you have covered me with Jesus, but I still fear you. Because you deserve to be feared. You are that large and that powerful. And you see me. Uh, so there is a healthy, 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 uh, scared out of your mindness to him. You know? Uh, and don't, <laughs> don't be afraid of that. <laughs> don't be afraid to tremble before him. You know? I, that is so healthy. Uh, okay. Hebrews 13. You just got one verse. Five. Keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will, not, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Ooh, that's a good one. So, unpack it. Well, because it contrasts again the, the living by, like, are you going to walk in the promise? Or are you going to walk in the circumstance? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And how does that connect, though, with him seeing? Well, because he sees your circumstance and he sees what's going on. Yeah. But if you choose to live by a different in a different perspective, then you'll see instead that he's never going to leave you. Yeah, so what, what connects is, which is, which is really good, and I, I, you just said it, 
um, is to me is the reason why I'm going to submit my life to him. Okay, he's outside of all. He's the author of all. He sees and knows all, and he will never leave me. So that is someone in which I'm going to say, okay, you can have it all. Because I know that not a step is going to be unseen, but also not a step is going to be taken where you're absent. Not just you, you're not just, this is not an observer. He sees in, in, in a um, relationship in which he is together with, right? You understand this? Like, I can watch you walk across the street, but what he's saying is that I see you in a way that is with you, not apart from you. And that connects it even further. Like, he is not just looking upon us in heaven, but he has given us the Holy Spirit and he is present in all things where he says, now I'm not, not ever going to leave you nor forsake you. So now I'm connecting with you while I'm seeing you. Okay, you can have it. You know, like, I'm convinced. Here's my life. You know what I mean? Um, okay. C.K. Deuteronomy 31. Verse 6. This job and courage do not fear of the them. Fear of them. For it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. So it's the same premise here. I thought we needed to see it twice. Um, but here, here's to me where it, what it kind of comes down to in, uh, in terms of Hagar and We've unpacked a lot, okay? Um, perfect. Um, here's, here's what I feel like we have to face. And I talked about this in Sunday school. Uh, but if we are, if, if that God uh, has spoken promises over us, do we know what those promises are? Just kind of like you check yourself. I know for me it was like not well enough. Um, if 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 he has as as he did over Hagar, if he if he really has promised the plethora of what he's promised, understand all he's all that he's promised us is held not by us. Okay, so the the keeping of the promise is not by us. That Christ died and and sealed the keeping of the promise in Himself. So. As we, uh, when we're saved and we abide in Him, then the keeping of the promises is not on us. But Romans uh, says that God is unable to lie. He cannot repent from His promises. So He will not turn from what He has promised. The keeping of those promises are in Christ Jesus. If I'm going to, as He asked Hagar to do, He said, I see you. Or she said, you're, you're the God that sees me. If He sees us and He is the author of those promises, how important is it then that for me, in order to walk by those promises, do I know what those promises are? Do I know, because he said it, do I know what the promises are? Do I know what's mine because of Christ? Not because of me. We've got to keep this framed correctly. It's not ownership in selfish terms. But do I know what my rights are, essentially? Do I, know, uh, do I know what is mine? Do I know what God has said over me in Christ? Because if I'm going to walk by those things, if I'm going to live in those things, then it's pretty important that I know what they are. And then we read, I'm telling you, one of the hardest passages 
to read is, uh, is Matthew 5, 6, and 7. It's the Sermon on the Mount. And he says, uh, blessed are the poor in spirit. Uh, and he goes through and he lists the condition of a heart. He calls us to a lifestyle that is different than anything our culture has ever produced or subscribed to. Um, it changes the way I read that passage when I know his promises and I know that he sees me. Because he's calling me out of a, of a lifestyle and into a lifestyle. Into a lifestyle of Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Uh, but out of a lifestyle that I've submitted myself to, which is by my, by my culture and my flesh. But what is it? How equipped am I to walk in what He has called me to walk in? If I know what those promises are, and I know He sees me and will never leave me or forsake me, then how bold do I get selling everything I own? How bold do I get doing exactly that which He's put on my heart to do? How bold do I get stepping outside of the expectations of the world and into what he has said over me? Does this make sense? Because if I don't know his promises, then I very quickly, I, I, I claim him for salvation and I build a life for myself from my culture and from my flesh. Very quickly. And it's happening all over the place. This is exactly what we're talking about in terms of uh, the way we can view scripture to fit our situation. You see what I mean? And then the Bible just becomes a way to, per, to, to build a fortress around the lifestyle that we've created in our image instead of being conformed to His. But understand this, that there is boldness in walking in the promise when I know that He sees me and I tremble before Him. Does that make sense? But know what those promises are. Know that He's called you a conqueror. Know, know that Know that he said that the gates of hell cannot prevail against you if you walk in revelation. This is what this is what the book says. You know it. You know what I mean? It's just healthy. Like, go home and make a list. And or just create something that I, I have like a promise area. And every time I see one, it's like, oh, I gotta I gotta have that. I gotta write that down and know that. I want a list. I want an active journal of, of what the promises are. I want, this is, I'm not ever going to write a book probably, but this is what I want to write. Like, this is the, this is the economy of heaven. This is what you get because you're in him. Not to be, not to be abused selfishly. It costs your life. Understand that. It costs your life. The price is all of you. But, this is what you get. You're never poor. You can sell everything you own. You're the, you're the richest person on earth because you serve the God who owns everything. Think about that. When the Lord says for me to give you my house, I can do that because he's got a, a few others. He's got one on the beach. He's got one in the mountains. He's got, I'm just saying, his economy is, he doesn't go up and down with the American economy. He's rich. So if he tells me to give it all away, great. See what I mean? Because I'm submitting to a promise that comes outside of what my culture says I have to do. Don't be conformed. Be transformed. Cool? I don't know. I just feel like that's a weighty thing to unpack, and I kind of unpacked it a little bit on Sunday, but I, I came back to it in my time here. It's like, okay. So I read your call to this lifestyle a little differently when I know this about you. 